to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. What you might interpret or what might be for you the marks or the indicators that you are kind of in the center of, of God's will, if, if I can use that language. If you are in the center of what God wants you to do, if you're kind of who you are and where you are and filled with the Spirit, and do, what, are the, what are the things that you would look for to indicate that you're kind of banging on all eight cylinders, right, in, in the center of what God wants you to do? How many of you, maybe you don't have to raise your hand, but maybe like me, think when everything's kind of flown along smoothly, right? When, when the doors are opening and when I'm just connecting with people and when, when it feels like almost effortless, right? And, and, and things are happening and, and maybe people that I pray for are being uh, healed or, or I'm connecting with people in friendship or relationships. It's just kind of just there in that sweet spot of what God is, is doing. Is there anybody else have kind of, yeah, that's the marker. Yeah. Um, so what do we do when that's not happening? When we're opposed when people are oppositional to us, when um, our prayers maybe don't get answered all the time, when, when it's difficult or hard, how do, we, how do we process those kinds of things? Because those kinds of things seem to be um, as often as regular and sometimes even more so than when I'm right kind of tracking along, right? It feels like some weeks just there, everything's sweet and lined up, and other times when it's just like, oh, man, this is just really hard. It's like one forward and three back sometimes, you know? And the truth, of course, is neither one indicates that you're in the center of what God wants you to be doing. It's just as likely that you're in the center of what God's doing and things are opposed to you, Right? as it is that you're in the center of what God wants you to be doing and, 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 and things are, are, are kind of in the flow of, of, of what you're doing. Um, as it turns out, we need the same thing for both kinds of environments and everything in between because a whole bunch of us live most of our lives between those two extremes, right? It's just kind of get up in the morning and go to work and do your job and connect with the folks that you connect with and sometimes good and sometimes not so good and sometimes challenging and sometimes they get a parking ticket and sometimes she's on the other side of the street and I, I skate this one by. It's like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I get freaked out by people that think a parking space is an answer to prayer. Now, sometimes, sometimes it is and sometimes Jesus knows I need to walk in from the back 40. So, apparently... Do you know? So what do we do with somebody like Paul, who we were with a couple of weeks ago, um, whom upon signing up, Jesus spent three days, three days, letting him know how much he would suffer for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel. So that when he signed up, 
He knew what he was getting into. Paul could never say, you never told me. Right? Spent three days in the dark learning what he was going to suffer. Um, Because the story of the church in the early stages is a story of challenge. It's the story of difficulty. It's, It's the story of... Of, 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 of hard times as well as just jaw-dropping wonder, right? It, it's everything. It's all that stuff in between. And sometimes it's, it's the day-to-day, one foot in front of the other, without seeming to have any significant results. Those are the harder days, isn't it? I mean, because when, when we're really opposed, then we kind of just dig in, right? We'll go for it. And, and when things are going well, we're just, ah, yeah. And then when it's just, uh, yeah, yeah, here we go, here we go, here we go. That, that, how many of you, okay. So, we pick up Paul again. He's been, last time we saw him, he, he, was, he was set on the shelf. Back in Tarsus, he had this amazing conversion story and started to have um, success in ministry, which also then meant opposition. And, and he was more enthusiasm than he was uh, kind of calm rationale. He was, he was a firecracker. You, you, you know what I mean? He just everywhere he went, things exploded. And sometimes that's good and other times not so good, right? And he just needed to, to calm down. He just needed to, to, to grow up a little bit in his faith. So he got put on the shelf by the disciples, basically, and by the Spirit in, in Tarsus. He just go back home, move back in with your mama, and, and just relax for a little while. We're, we've got some marinating in grace to do to learn how to have these kind of conversations. That you don't just tick people off everywhere you go. And Paul needed to learn how to do that. And calm down. And so he's in Tarsus, and we'll pick him up later on the story. Uh, But in the meantime, uh, the gospel, like Peter said last week, is just the Holy Spirit's just kind of blowing the walls out of whatever box he's put in. He's just kind of stretching out, reaching out, because God's heart is always for those who are not yet included. Jesus told us it was going to be like that. There's more joy in heaven, he says, over one sinner out there who repents than over the 99 of you that gather on every Sunday morning and just rejoice that you're already in. It just needs you to know there's a party for them and not so much for you anymore. You had your party. Move on. Nothing to see, right? So, so, So that's kind of the reality that we live in. And when we pick up this text this morning, uh, as, as the church is trying to keep up with what the Holy Spirit's doing. So we pick it up. Uh, Darren's going to take us to Acts chapter 11. If you've got your Bibles, feel free to turn with me in that. Acts chapter 11, we'll pick it up at verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Just a comment. I'm going to, because we're kind of flying fast over the, at the thousand foot level, I'm just going to snapshot a couple of things on our way through here. I think that's going to be our, our best use of time this morning. The first thing we, we, we want to recognize is, if you can recall with me back to Acts chapter 1 verse 8, what did Jesus tell his disciples they were supposed to do? Supposed to wait in Jerusalem till they were filled with the Spirit and then what? Proclaim the gospel first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And what happened? 
They got filled with the Spirit, and they just so much enjoyed that fellowship that they didn't go anywhere. They just really enjoyed their happy, holy huddle. So like, kumbaya, you know, it's just kind of a bring everybody in. Come on, come on, come on. Enjoy. And, and the Holy Spirit, meanwhile, is starting to get a little antsy. He, he loves Jerusalem, but Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, they're still, still waiting. So what happens to get the church out of town? Persecution happens. Stephen dies. He's a martyr. Now, that's not why. He died, but seeing as how he died, let's take advantage of his death, if I can use that language. How many of you know that sometimes the Lord uses things that are oppositional to you to get you to do what you ought to have been doing in the first place? Right? And so Stephen uh, is, is martyred, he is pers- and, and as a result of that, the, things start to get pretty hot for the church. The things start to get pretty pretty miserable and and they finally oh wait we don't have to stay here in this kettle we can get out of town and so they do and they spread out and and notice Phoenicia Cyprus Antioch they are they are moving very rapidly to every Jewish synagogue and now however they're only preaching the message of the gospel the good news to Jews that's who they are that's where they feel most welcome they go to their people first however in uh, Antioch Uh, Some men from Cyprus and Cyrene began to speak to Greeks, Gentiles also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Uh, And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So we've got this scenario happening where somebody didn't get the memo, these guys from Cyprus and Cyrene, and start just telling everybody, not just the Jews, in the synagogues. And, and God is apparently doing something. They're trying to keep up with what the Holy Spirit's doing. And this is the result. So, um, news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas in, uh, to Antioch. Had what happened in chapter 10 that Peter talked about last week uh, not occurred, this would not have happened either. If they hadn't had their eyes open to the fact that the Holy Spirit is concerned about people who are not Jews, but who are Gentiles, centurions, they may not have had as been open on this. So they take one of their leading representatives, Barnabas. He's not an apostle. He's not a disciple. He's just a guy who, who has nothing better to do because he sold his land to fund the church. So he's, got, he's not anchored to the dirt anymore. He's free to travel, and so he does. They send him off. He's a good man. And he, when he arrives, he sees evidence of the grace of God. And he was in glad, he was glad, and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. So Barnabas's mission here as a representative of the church in Jerusalem is to go and see what in the world is going on. We're getting rumors of, and he goes and he says, no, 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 this is good. God's grace is being poured out. People are coming in. This is a good thing. He just challenges them, encourages them. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Please kind of underline that in your mind. He was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So, go ahead, Darren. Barnabas then went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Why? Well, because he's in Antioch. He's out of his league here. Barnabas is a Jew. He knows how to talk to Jews. He doesn't know what to do with Gentiles. He needs somebody who is well-versed in the language Greek, who is well-versed in Judaism, because still a number of converts are 
are, are, are Jewish in orientation. So how do, how in the, how do we do Oh, and, and, and remember now, we've got this hot young rabbi who's been sitting on the back burner over in Tarsus for a while. What do we, oh, and Barnabas, hey, I know a guy. I know a guy. How many of you know guys that know guys? Right. And so Barnabas, this is uh, I know a guy, I know a guy who can help us here. And so he goes and remember, this is in a time when people did not move more than 200 miles from their place of birth. Barnabas is a world traveler just trying to pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's doing. Goes up to Antioch, sent on mission by the church. Then he goes over to Tarsus, digs around until he finds Saul. Now, we learn from Saul later on in his writings that he's not just sitting around in Tarsus, pouting that people have forgotten about him. I'm, I'm a gifted young rabbi filled with the Holy Spirit. I got things to do, places to go. I could be really useful. I'm really an important... No, Paul's not doing that. He's taking advantage of the space to dig in deep. In the grace of God. This is going to become very, very useful to him. The reason I land on that for just a second is that undoubtedly, like Saul, some of you perhaps feel like you've been set on the shelf. That the church has forgotten about you. That God perhaps has forgotten about you. That he doesn't remember where you are. He doesn't remember the gifts that he has given you, he's not sure, you're not sure that your days of ministry are behind you, not ahead of you. And I felt compelled in the service this morning, and again I feel it compelled today. God knows where you are. He knows the gifts you have. Take advantage of this time on the shelf to dig in deep. Some Barnabas somewhere is going to remember, and then you will be brought back into service. Don't pout. Don't be resentful. Dig in. Take advantage of this time to learn who you are in, in Christ. That's going to become helpful as you go forward. Does that make sense? So Saul is sitting over there. No, he's not just twiddling his sums, waiting for the church to clue in at how wonderful he is. He's, just, he's over there and digging in deep so that when Barnabas comes looking for him, Saul's locked and loaded, ready to go. Barnabas brings him back to Antioch, and, the, and they met with the church and taught great numbers of the people, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This is amazing. They're with them for, not, not, not just yet, sorry, Darren. They're with them, can you go back? Thanks. They're with them for about a year. And as a result of the discipling ministry of Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas, people are now starting to be reminded of Jesus. Because that's, remember, this is, this, is, this is what it means to be a Christian. This is not a term uh, that they claim for themselves. This is a term that their enemies labeled them. Well, you're nothing but a little Christ. It's a term of, 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 of derogation, right? And, 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 and frankly, it's, it's what has occasioned a shift in my language. Uh, increasingly, I find myself talking with people who are, who are not yet Christians, who, who, who I, I may run into, and every once in a while I'll get this question, are you a Christian? And my answer has become this. I'm really not qualified to answer that question. If you will follow me around, though, for a while, and if I 
by my behavior, remind you of Jesus, then you can call me Christian. Because that's, that's what it means, right? It's not, a, it's not a label of belief. It's a description of behavior. So, so am I a Christian? That's really going to be up to you to determine. Does my behavior remind you of Jesus? In which case, cool. Does that make sense? So here these guys, they have discipled this church so well that in one year of their ministry, the people in the community are saying, you guys, those, they, I've seen this before. This reminds me of Jesus. Look how they treat one another, how they care for their, their sick and their elderly, how they disciple their children, how they manage their marriages how they handle conflict and stress and distress, how they're... That reminds me of Jesus. That's the result of the discipling ministry of Paul and Barnabas. You with me? So that's happening there in Antioch. The Holy Spirit's going on. Then in the church in Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. And, and the little dot means there's some more verses there. And I don't have time to go into them. I wish I did. While they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said... Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Please notice a stage here. This is really important. Apparently, the Holy Spirit has talked to Paul and Barnabas, or Saul and Barnabas at this stage. And what have they done about what they heard from the Spirit? So far, nothing. So then, what does the Spirit do next? whether a prophetic word in a public worship environment or whether through somebody who's gifted as a prophet in the congregation, he says to them, set aside for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have already called them. So, individual, they don't do anything about it, but wait, they wait. Having heard a word from the Lord is not enough in the moment for them to take the next step. They wait for the community to have and help them discern what God is up to. So the Holy Spirit speaks to the church through a prophet or through some message, right? And then what do they do? Please notice, they had fasted and prayed. Still, that word was not enough to get them to move. They needed to discern, is this really God or is this just a a wish that we want? And they had fasted and prayed. Then the church sent hands on them and sent them off. This is important for me because having grown up as I did in the Pentecostal and Charismatic movements my whole life, I've been a pastor now for almost 40 years, I've had all kinds of people who've told me God said to do X, Y, and Z. And so i got to go do it. i got to go do it. And Paul and Barnabas would say, eh, not necessarily. Yes, but pay attention to the community who discerns together whether this is something God's up to. We want to bless what God is doing, not ask him to bless what we're doing. Do do you see? So this is an important uh, corrective, I think, to some of the excesses of the prophetic voice that says, go do this, and then we go off and do it, and things, the wheels come off. and No. What is the Spirit? saying to me as an individual, to our community, and to the community at large so much that they're now willing to say, no, these guys are really, this is what God wants them to do. So they sent them off in this way. Two of them, 
Paul and Barnabas, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of the Lord in the Jewish synagogues. I hate to keep breaking this up. Sorry. I wish we could just dig in deeply everywhere, so I'm just giving you snapshot stuff. But anyway, that's... Go back, go back. So, so, if you follow the travelogue, what's going on? Please notice what's happening. They're sent out by the Spirit, and do they sit at every moment and say, okay, Holy Spirit, do we turn left or right? Do we go here or there? No. They just follow the main road. So, having been empowered by the Spirit, they now use the Roman road system... And they just go to next big city, next big city. So first of all, they go on to Seleucia. Then they get on a boat and go to Cyprus. Why? Because that's where the road goes. We've come to the end of the road. There's an, a, a sea here. Oh, there's a boat. We get on the boat. We get off the boat where the boat gets off. They're not directed by the Spirit. Their whole life is in the flow of the Spirit. Does that make sense? This is really important because I want you to see the tension They're paying attention to the Holy Spirit, but they're not waiting every single morning. Okay, is it the Spirit's will for me to get out of bed this morning? Blue socks or red socks? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. No, they they have the general anointing of the Spirit, and now their sense of Roman geography kicks in. They follow the main road. They go to the big cities. Do you see? And when they're, they have a strategy, they go to the synagogues because they know the synagogues will invite them to speak. So here they go. They proclaim the word of the God in the Jewish synagogues. They travel throughout the whole island. And finally, they came to Paphos. And there they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, the kind of the Roman official, whose name was Sergius Paulus. Remember the, guy, the guy's name is uh, Bar-Jesus. In the next slide, it's going to be a different name. Um, the proconsul was an intelligent man, heard rumors of what was going on, and so sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of the Lord. How many of you know if the Lord wants you someplace, he'll find a way to get you there? You don't have to bang on doors. He knows how to open stuff. They are invited by invitation into the highest court in the land, in the island, to talk about God. He knows how to do stuff. Okay? So now they're invited. However, Elimus, that was the guy's name, Bar-Jesus, in the previous slide. Now his name is Elimus because that's what his name means. The sorcerer. Oh, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from their faith. Apparently, Opposition does not mean you've missed God. It may mean you're right in the center of what God wants you to do. That's why you've got to be what? Full of the Holy Spirit and faith so you can discern what's going on. Paul clues in right away. He says, Saul also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, notice that caveat, looked straight at Elimus and said, you are a child of the devil. Hello. Throw down. I mean, it's like, bring it, right? He's not intimidated by this, right? And he's doing this in public, in public, because the guy's whispering in the ear of the proconsul. These guys are wackadoodle. And, and Saul just says, enough, enough. 
You're a child of the devil. You're an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. How to win friends and influence people in Jesus' name. No, he recognizes what's going on and just calls the guy out. Notice what happens next. You have, will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Here's the deal. The hand of the Lord is against you. So, you're going to be blind. And for a time, you will be unable to see the light of the sun. I wonder where Paul learned that. (laughs) That worked for me. So let's give it a shot with you. Right? Let's see what happens here. Right? So immediately, mist darkness came over him. He groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. I love this next line. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed. Yeah, I bet you did. For he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So here was a power encounter, kingdom of darkness confronting the kingdom of the light. Paul is not anxious about it. He just calls it out and says, let's see what you can learn how to see when you're blind. And the proconsul, recognizing a superior force, a superior power, believes you see what's going on here? You're just full of the Spirit and faith. You don't know where you're going to end up when you start the day out. You just don't know. It might be simply talking to the guy at the next cubicle, but you might be called into the corner office. Cool. You're ready for whatever as long as you're filled with the Spirit, walking by faith, standing in the reality. Do you see? So he goes on. They leave there from Paphos. Paul and his companions sailed off to Perga. Don't you just wish, like, fill in the rest of the story. Wouldn't you like to have known what happened afterwards? Like, well, how? Because how, the, the last we see this guy, he's blind groping around for a few days. Well, I would love to know, you know, the, Paul Harvey's the rest of the story for old people. So, so for the, for, yeah, what happened? I don't know. Don't know. Not important. Nothing to see. Move on. Yeah, okay, okay. Keep up with the Holy Spirit. This, by the way, is a regular theme in the book of Acts. Just hang on, because the Holy Spirit's moving, and if you're not running, you're going to be left behind. Okay? Paphos, Paul and his companions, sailed to Perga, on to Pisidian Antioch. There, on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the Law and the Prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them. Brothers, If you have a message of encouragement, please speak. Well, I think we do. So, standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said to the men of Israel, and you Gentiles who worship God, the congregation at that time was comprised both of Jews and of Gentiles who were what were called God-fearers, who are exploring the way of the Lord, right? And he says, uh, listen to me. And then his whole sermon in Acts chapter 13, of which I'm not going to uh, take you through the content. I wish I could. But, so, after the end of the sermon, Paul and Barnabas are leaving the synagogue. The people invited them to speak further about these things in the next Sabbath. How many know that the Holy Spirit knows how to get you where he needs you to be? What's the requirement? Full of faith. Full of the Spirit. Be ready. Be ready. You don't know. You don't know. Okay? Invited him on to the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas who talked with them and urged them to 
continue in the grace of God. Now, this passage here, I want to stop for just one second. Remember, these guys are Jews, and they're God-fearers. Notice what Paul and Barnabas didn't do. They didn't haul out a list of things you have to believe in order to be a Christian. They just recognized the Holy Spirit's got this one. He's drawing them. They'll come around. Let's just continue in the grace that you have started in. We'll get the belief stuff straightened out as we go along. There's not a a, a, a four spiritual laws that Paul whips out of his pocket and says, you've got to do this. There is no, you've got to do this. There's no Roman road. He hasn't written Romans yet. So there is no Romans road to lead these people through, which were the things that I learned, you know, 40 years ago when I started out in ministry. These are the things. These are the steps. These are the things that people have to believe in order to be a Christian. Paul just says, well, no, no, no. Just continue in the grace. God's got this one. He's drawing you in. He will draw you in. We don't have to be... How many of you know God's not nearly as much of a hurry to get people saved as you are? Why? Why? Because the grace, the pace, the process is as important as the outcome. Some people, it takes a while, right? And by forcing them to a decision before they're ready, the decision doesn't stick. So Paul just says, yeah, you're good on you. Keep paying attention to what the Spirit's doing. Keep following in line with this. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. We'll get all of the belief stuff straightened out as we go along. Where do you think he learned that? My guess is was sitting on the shelf in Tarsus for a while. We got all the belief stuff straight. We just don't have the grace stuff right. Get grace right. Belief will follow. And so he urges them to continue in the grace of God. So on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city was gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to talk abusively against what Paul was saying. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first. But since you reject it, I love this, and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. To whom did God say that? That's from the Old Testament. He said that to the Jews who now are rejecting that very light in this moment. Paul says, you guys, you, you, you guys don't want to opt in? Well, then we've got to go to the Gentiles. Now, please notice the response to, of the Gentiles. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. And honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. And then one more, I think. Then the word of the Lord spread throughout the whole region. Jews incited, however, God-fearing women of high standing, leading men of the city. Why, by the way? Because of their spiritual opposition? No, because of their jealousy. 
Don't assume that all opposition is spiritual in orientation. Sometimes it's just jealousy. That's why you can't pay attention very much to the opposition. You've got to be anchored, filled with the Spirit, and standing in faith. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. They expelled them from the reason, so they shook the dust from their feet, like Jesus had taught them to do, and went to Iconium. And there, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So this text is is a huge one, and I want to just kind of focus in on a couple of key things. Uh, The the first one, and and probably the, the, the most important one, just to underline for some of us today particularly, is just because you are in the center of God's will, just because you are empowered and directed by the Spirit, that does not mean you won't have problems. In fact, sometimes the problems will be as a result of being in God's will. So don't misunderstand tough stuff that's happening. It might be the opposition of the enemy. It might just be life. Right? And sometimes it's just people who don't like you. And here's the key. You can't take any of it personally. Otherwise, you will react rather than respond. So you've got to be filled with the Spirit, standing in faith, It does not mean you missed what God is doing. It might mean you're on the front lines of the battle. In fact, Jesus is going to say, look, if everybody's saying all manner of good things against you, you probably got took a left turn somewhere. If you don't have anybody who's speaking against you, if you don't have anybody who's oppositional to you, you probably missed something somewhere. But here's the other deal. God sometimes uses trouble as a way to accomplish his purposes. To force us deeper, perhaps, into prayer. To force us to have hard conversations. This is why, for the most part, we don't pray for God to fix our trouble. We pray for capacity for the trouble we've got. This is important, I think. Because oftentimes I find myself, when I'm going through a difficult time, spending boatloads of spiritual capital on praying that God would fix stuff. He'd talk to my wife or straighten her out because this is really, you know, or, or that, that we'd deal with things financially or that we'd, you know, kind of get stuff fixed or that people would or that situations would. You know, you know what I mean? We spend a boatload of time praying about stuff and people out there. Instead of saying perhaps, Lord, I don't have any control of stuff out there. You fix out there what needs to be fixed. But give me capacity in the moment for the life that I'm living today. Give me strength for the day. Does that make sense? Huge. Hugely important. I have a a friend who is in an unnamed country because of the persecution that is taking place there. It's called in our mission field a sensitive area. And uh, he has seen his, his wife and daughters harassed almost to the point of being raped. He has uh, seen his car torched. He has seen um, a, a building committee foreclose or close out their meeting space. And his prayer is not, get me out of here. His prayer is courage to stay 
and serve well. That require, that's, and that's what's required. What do I do when I'm afraid? Does that not mean that I should quit? No. Fear is a legitimate gift from God to signal threat from the outside. That's what fear is for. Fear ought not, however, be in charge of the steering wheel of our lives. What do we do when we're afraid? We acknowledge our fear, we invite the Spirit in, and we respond to fear with courage. That's the work of the Spirit. We respond, not react. We're not paralyzed by our fear. We're informed by it. Do you really think that Paul, in all of the situations that he was dealing with, was not ever afraid? Or do you think when he was afraid, instead of responding out of fear, he responded with love and joy that produced courage? That's what we're invited into. Because opposition, trouble, hardships, whether they're flesh and blood or spiritual, always both, right? God can use to focus us. And primarily where God focuses us is out on the world that he loves on the world that he loves as much as you. Because we will have a tendency, will we not, to close in, to lean in. But we serve the Holy Spirit who is always pushing out. So take advantage, like Paul and Barnabas did then, of the challenges. When things go sideways. Rather than complaining, rather than giving up, they just changed direction and went a different thing. We'll learn more about this next week. They didn't lose sight of the goal. The secret for the supernaturally ordinary life is to be filled with the Spirit and standing in faith. You need that to go to work tomorrow morning. This is not just for speaking in synagogues. This is for negotiating uh, with the guy in the cubicle next to yours. With solving a problem with an unreasonable foreman. With having a hard conversation with a customer who's just kind of gone sideways on you. Right? Do you recognize that you need the Holy Spirit for that? Otherwise, you're going to respond out of what? A different spirit, not the Holy Spirit. Right? And then nobody's going to call you Christian because you don't remind them of Jesus. Does that make sense? Because, I mean, we don't need another Paul. How many are okay with that? We don't need another Barnabas. We need people like Paul and like Barnabas. But those, those guys got that part covered. What the Holy Spirit needs is you to show up in your own life. Because he's got stuff for you to do that requires you to risk when you're afraid. Maybe it's fostering a kid. Maybe it's becoming a safe uh, family. Maybe it's, maybe it's to have that conversation with a coworker. Maybe it's to go across the street to, 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 to that Dodger-loving neighbor <laughs> and treat him like a human being. <laughs> That's what I need, sound effects in Sunday morning. But because we are, we've all got reasons why we can't. And the Holy Spirit's saying, come out and play. I love him. 
I want you to be part. I want, I want you to be part. And, and again, you don't have to bang on doors. Just pay attention to the ones that he opens. Right? Bless what God is doing. Don't ask him to bless what you want to do. Bless what God's doing. Maybe the guy on the Metrolink tomorrow morning. Maybe that, maybe that person that you've seen in the calf time and time again. Just something. Pay attention. Be filled with the Spirit. Stand in the reality of faith. And then join in the grand adventure of what God's doing. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, uh, that you paid attention and that you invite us to that. That you are willing to risk engagement. That you are willing to push past safe. And Lord, the truth is, uh, we're all about safe. I am. And comfortable and familiar. So when we read the story of Paul and Barnabas, these guys who, who rightly we regard as heroes, we just really admire them, but not sure where we fit in. And the truth is, we need the same infilling of the Holy Spirit, the same standing in faith to get out of bed in the morning, to go and love the world that we are sent to like they did. So I pray, O oh God, that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would enable us with capacity, that you would give us courage when we're afraid, that you would help us to discern the flow and the work of your spirit so we can bless what you're doing in a coworker. And when we get it wrong, help us not to shame ourselves into silence, but to continue to marinate deeply in grace and continue to pay attention. Some of us, Lord, are Barnabas kind of people that are just sent to bring folks into the conversation. Help us to do that. Some of us, Lord, are, are, are going to be opposed this week. Help us not to take it personally, but to respond in the power of the Spirit. Some of us, oh Lord, feel like we've been set on the shelf and set aside and wonder if you or anybody else even remembers us. Help us not to disqualify ourselves by pouting, but to continue to dig down deeply in what you're doing so that when the call comes, when the opportunity comes, we're ready. Help us, oh God, to be filled with the Spirit, to be people of faith, to be filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite you to stand uh, with me and um, members of our prayer team are going to be available to pray with you. But I, my sense is that there are some of you who just really have felt the tug of the spirit this morning. And um, I want to give you the opportunity to come to let us pray with you for courage to lean into what God's doing, inviting you into uh, table of the Lord is here. Please feel free to come and partake of that. Uh, but let's, uh, let's respond to what the pull of the Spirit is for us.
Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.